This episode is brought to you by Roundtable Group, the experts on experts. We've been connecting attorneys with experts for over 25 years. Find out more at roundtablegroup.com. Welcome to Discussions at the Roundtable. I'm your host, Noah Balmer. And today I'm excited to welcome George Reese. Mr. Reese is the owner of Imaging Forensics, which provides forensic analysis for a wide range of media, including video, digital images, and photographs. He's been an expert witness for a dozen actions in the U.S. and abroad and is a published author. Mr. Reese, thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Noah. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, George. Let's jump into it. Uh, you started Imaging Forensics in 2004, is that right? Yes, it is. But you were a, a crime scene investigator before that. How, have you always had a, a passion for forensic analysis? No. Um, so my my early history, I um, was a, a photojournalist. I oh. worked uh, for a local newspaper for a couple of years, and I worked at the, I was a staff photographer for the Los Angeles Times for a few years. No um, I started my own business. I went broke, had to get a job. And I saw an ad in the classified newspapers for a police photographer at the Newport Beach Police Department. And I decided I'll do that for a year, get back on my feet and do something else. And I ended up falling in love with it. How did you get from from, you know, taking photographs to becoming a forensic expert? Well, when I got hired at Newport Beach, that was in 1989. And at that particular time, everything was was film related. Um, but in 1992, Kodak introduced a 1.4 megapixel digital camera that was um, only ten thousand dollars. And I convinced <laughs> my all? department to <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, huh? <laughs> so I, I convinced our department to buy one, and uh, with that, I started photographing fingerprints and enhancing them. And through doing that work, I started speaking at conferences and I started consulting with other police agencies, some private businesses while still working at the police department. And that led to doing analysis of photographs and analysis of video. So so when we see, uh, you know, in, in Hollywood, somebody say enhance and a, and a computer just makes it <laughs> makes it better. That's not really how it works. We have we have someone like you back there doing the real work. Is that right? Yeah, I keep looking for that easy button or that CSI button, but I haven't found it yet. So <laughs> so how did you uh, turn all of that, uh, you know, all of that experience in photography and then in forensics into a uh, a career, really, in in um, in expert witnessing? When, what was your first engagement as an expert witness? Were you advertising for that or did somebody just approach you? I. I'm not certain of my very first engagement, but when I was still working at the police department, I did receive some phone calls. I don't know how those particular attorneys found me at that particular time, but received sure, phone before calls. Before the internet. From, well, could have been because I did have an internet <laughs> site at the time. So, Oh, is that right? <laughs> I did. I did. It's uh, it's interesting, but I, I think I started my first internet site, uh, well, before the year 2000. Wow. So, yeah. And uh, in my business, I had a different name at the time. But uh, so I, I had a couple of engagements while still working at the police department. I was also uh, providing a lot of training and consulting services. And just at one point, I, I thought, you know, I think I'd rather not set an alarm clock, work shift work every day and go out on my own. So that's when I started 
my full-time business of imaging forensics, where I provide uh, training, consulting, and expert witness work. George, let's talk about those early assignments. So uh, when you were first contacted and you just first starting started doing this, um, how, how how did the uh, how did the attorneys handle um, you know the preparation? Did you feel ready for whatever it was that you're engaged to do? Um, were you just writing a report? Did you end up doing a deposition? Um, what, what was it like early on? And uh, is there something that you've learned, you know, going forward that you wish that they had prepared you better with at the at the outset? Oh, boy, oh, boy. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the the very first cases, I'm, I'm pretty certain were um, criminal cases. They were just outside of the jurisdiction in which I was working uh, with my day job. So um, those were fine because I was used to working criminal cases. That's what I did for a living. Um, sure. But my first uh, civil case uh, was a seven-hour deposition. Okay. Um, and it was brutal. I uh, I came home at the end of the day and told my wife I felt like I've been beaten up. And mm. uh, <laughs> she, said, she said, maybe you should be a boxer. Um, <laughs> so that particular deposition, uh, I had no prep from the attorney whatsoever. Um, Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I wrote a report. In the report, uh, first of all, I, the first half of the deposition just went swimmingly. Everything was, was really great. After lunch, come right. back. And the second half focused on one thing I wrote in that report that I didn't have enough knowledge about and should not mm -hmm. have written in there. And so that was a really great lesson to learn on a first deposition is don't put anything in your report that you don't absolutely know and, and that you absolutely can't back up. Did you have did you feel that you had some pressure from the attorney to say more than you knew or was it just your inexperience? It was just my inexperience completely. No, there was no pressure from that attorney. The attorney was a, a really nice person. And, and you know, he just said, hey, can you do this analysis? I did I did the analysis. The one item that I mentioned just was referring to something technical. And I, I could have made the same point without going into the technical aspect of this thing in the report. Going forward, did you have your attorneys done a better job at preparing you? Have you done any mock cross examinations, for instance? I've done some mock cross examinations. What uh, interestingly, in my field, most attorneys don't really know um, how to approach uh, either direct or cross. So I oftentimes the preparation is is my providing. Um, obviously questions for my direct examination and my suggesting to the attorneys what cross-exam questions I might expect. I have. Oh, that's uh, it. Go on. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, uh, not so, at all. There's a slight delay. So. <laughs> yeah. So I, but the, the first really good prep I had, I had a case that was in Hawaii and uh, I arrived three days early, of course. Um, and I met with the attorney every single day, and he spent a lot of time going through uh, his direct examination and same questions over and over again. When we got into court, he asked me different questions. And mm -hmm. I was I was really surprised at that, but it made everything fresh. So that was that was quite interesting. And it was pretty heavy duty um, prep. And then my most the most recent time that I testified was a case in London and in that particular case, uh, the attorney, uh, the primary attorney that I worked with in that case, um, 
prepped me by asking me rapid fire questions, which he said for um, arbitrations in London, that's very common methodology is just rapid fire questions, one right after another, no time to get a break, no time to think. Um, so that was really great prep to have. That's really interesting. So for, uh, you know, if, if, if you're, if, if you're an expert and you're going to appear in out not even just out of the out of the country certainly but even out of um you know your usual area that you work in um things can work a little bit differently and uh, the laws might be a little bit different and uh, it's it's important that it's important that your attorney prepare you for anything especially if you're fairly experienced and you're used to things going one way right it's it's important that they prepare you for uh for the the differences and changes um was there anything else interesting or unusual about working in in England well the whole process was actually um interesting so um I appeared before a tribunal originally when I was retained the uh retaining counsel when they called me, they said that they were looking for names to present to the tribunal and the tribunal would be hiring um, independent experts directly. Sure. In this particular case, the tribunal couldn't decide who to hire. So they brought it back to the law firms and said, you guys each bring in your own experts. And then testifying there, um, there was no direct examination, but instead I had 30 minutes to present my findings in whatever way I wished to do so. And then mm -hmm. that was followed by an hour and a half of cross. Wow. Um, I, <laughs> did you did you feel pretty well prepared for that? Did your attorney make all of that clear, what was going to happen and what to expect? They made everything very clear. So they were they were they were a great firm to work with and and there were actually two different law firms from two different countries with multiple attorneys. Um, but the and I had several um, Zoom meetings in advance, uh, and they went through everything to expect very, very clearly. So I was, I felt very well prepared, and I like giving narrative when I testify. I know a lot of people say you shouldn't. I always ask the attorneys if I get asked this question or this question, is it all right if I give a narrative as a response? Most of the time, they say yes, that would be great. And in this case, that thirty minutes was a nice narrative. Let's talk about cross. Um, do you uh, have any strategies for maintaining composure? You know, when you're being grilled, you said that that first time it was something like six hours or seven hours. Like that's 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 a lot of uh, being grilled in court. So you know, uh, how how do you stay calm and cool and collective and and stay within the confines of your expertise? Uh, do you have any advice or any strategies regarding that? Other than drinking heavily before. Um... <laughs> <laughs> a couple bottles of scotch before yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, i i think that i generally have a, a fairly calm demeanor so i don't necessarily prepare but i do find sometimes i begin to talk fast um hmm. and i try to just remind myself slow down a little bit um so i, I get excited about what i do and i love telling telling people what i do and i think the other thing i do is when in court um, especially a jury trial, I, I kind of think of myself as being at a social event and that I have a group of people around me that are saying, can you tell me about a case you worked? And then no matter who's asking me the question and what tone they have when asking the question, I turn and look at my group, my, my, my little group of friends, and I tell them the story about what I'm working on. 
Sure. You know, that's a good jumping off point. Do you have any, you know, interesting, memorable cases, uh, something that uh, a newer expert might find themselves in that you uh, might have a lesson for? Um, well, I have some interesting cases I worked on, but I'm trying to think of something where um, it might pass along some good information to a new expert. Uh, I will say the, the most interesting cases I worked have been military cases. Um, and the sure. reason for that is the cases I've worked, they bring the entire team to uh, there for the entire trial. So you're there from opening arguments until sentencing, um, if there okay. is sentencing. And the whole team works together and gets together at every break. So you're working with um, medical experts and computer experts and psychologists and DNA experts, and you're all inputting with each other. And you get to see a lot of a lot of other other people's practice and how they approach things, which does kind of come to a little bit of advice I might have for someone new. Something I did early in my career while working at the police department is I would watch some of our officers testify before I ever got called into court. In addition to that, on my own, I would go to court and watch um, any case that I could. And hopefully there would be an expert testifying. So I've seen dentists testify, um, people in uh, a variety of fields, which has been very beneficial. And then I also have friends and mentors who are in fields outside of my own, which tends to be very, very helpful uh, to me as well. Sure. Um, any other specific stories, anything interesting that's happened? Well, I I, I kind of like uh, the very first case I worked. So after I turned in my notice at uh, at the police department, my last day of work, I'm driving home, my cell phone rings, and it was uh, the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office wanting to retain me on a case in which the actress Cameron Diaz was being extorted for a million dollars. So... <laughs> Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I thought it was going to be a case that would lead to a ton of publicity and that my future would be set. Sure. Um, there wasn't near as much publicity as as I hoped there would be, but it was a it was a good case. Um, actually, Adobe, a uh, company that makes Photoshop, recommended me to the DA for the case because the case involved the use of Photoshop to uh, forge a um, model release. Uh, so they okay. forged. Cameron Diaz's signature onto the model release. So that was an interesting case, more because of who was involved in the timing of it. Right. <laughs> um, uh, so that was interesting. And then, of course, I, I work on a lot of cases that uh, involve uh, police shootings, um, which oftentimes are interesting. Um, sure. One of the cases, I think uh, two police officers were firing guns from a moving vehicle, and I think they fired over... 50 or 60 rounds during this, this chase. And that was, that was kind of interesting and unexpected. Uh, so, um, you know, I do, I do work quite a number of those. And so go on. Oh, well, I was just going to say, and so I, I get this wide variety of cases. And from that standpoint, to some extent, every case is interesting to me because it's a little bit of a different story behind it, a little bit different things that happen. I work both civil cases and criminal cases, which mix things up uh, quite a bit as well. How do you remain uh, an expert 
in, in forensics or, or really any field, you know, obviously, if you want to keep getting hired, you have to keep learning, you have to maintain that expertise, you were talking about how early in your career, um, you accidentally, you know, said a little bit too much that was a little beyond your expertise. So what, what does it mean to you to be an expert to remain an expert? Well, I think training is is actually uh, the, the key thing there. So I, I, get continuing uh, education all the time. I've been certified in my field. So I'm certified in forensic photography and forensic video analysis. Those required substantial amount of training and continuing education. Um, When I first started in this business um, in my full time, I went and sought training um, from SEEK in the field of expert witnessing. And that okay. I learned a lot about report writing, about depositions, about testimony, cross-examination. So training in the field of, of um, expert witnessing. And then here where I live in Southern California, um, me and several other experts have started a group that we get together every month. Um, we share a glass of wine and uh, we we talk about our expert work cases that we've had, things that we've learned, and we invite attorneys, other experts, uh, judges to come and speak to our group as well on a regular basis. Now, that's really interesting. Has that been an effective strategy for you so far? Have you gotten any work or, or uh, um, you know, improved your expertise in, in some way by doing so? Is that something that you would recommend to other experts? I would highly recommend it. So um, when this started, there used to be an organization that, that was a national organization and featured these kinds of meetings regularly. They That organization no longer does that local group. So we started our own since then. But early on, um, you know, one of my mentors early in my career, um, who, who I continue to talk to uh, and get information from, is a cement expert. A cement hmm. and digital photography and digital video analysis. I mean, for goodness sakes, what could be further apart? But <laughs> He has shared so much information with me about about his work and what he's done. Another person is a a dirt expert. Um, So moving dirt, grading and things of that nature. And he shares a lot of information with me. Um, Experts in psychology are part of our group and experts in um, computer forensics, part of our group. And all these fields, they they come in and they they talk about how they approach something, uh, what their report looks like. Um, what their um, retention agreement looks like, how they take that initial phone call from the attorney, what information they want to get. And all those things are incredibly helpful. You were talking about writing reports. Um, you, how do you stay within the confines of the report? You know, I, I, I've heard that this can sometimes get a little bit off the rails if they if they don't tell you exactly what they need to know, what they expect, and how much of it they expect. So, uh, you know, how do you uh, manage with your attorney? Do you do you ask them a lot of question, affirmative questions like, do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? Or do you just kind of go with it? What's what's your typical strategy in report writing? So when I when I initially get retained by an attorney, I ask them specifically what the scope um, of my assignment is. Okay. And so I I try to stay within that scope. But if things come up during my analysis that kind of point to some other directions to take, I contact the attorney. I say, hey, you know, I'm finding this and this might be interesting avenues to pursue. Would you like me to? So they say yes or no, whatever whatever that happens to be. Um, and then at the end, I give them a verbal report 
And in that verbal report, I say, here are what my findings were. Here are the things that might be beneficial to your case. Here are the things that might be harmful to your case. And we discuss it. And then from there, I write the report. Um, always write it fairly. Always include information uh, that's, that were my findings in the particular case. But from the direction of realizing who it is that has hired me in the case. But it sure. most cases, I find attorneys definitely want to know the stuff that's going to be harmful to their case as early as possible. Um, so then that way they could figure out how they want to strategize for that information. Do you find that attorneys are fairly receptive to what you tell them, or do you get some pushback from time to time? I try to only work for attorneys that won't give me pushback. So hmm. in, in my initial call, the most important thing that I do during that initial call is try to measure the personality of the attorney. Sure. And if I don't think we're going to get along. I think he's going to want, he or she is going to want me to go in a certain direction. Um, I think they will be argumentative. I'll just refer them to someone else or turn down the assignment indicating I'm too busy at that time. Have you turned down a significant number of engagements? I probably turned down half the calls that I get. No kidding, that many. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, my, my wife jokes when, when she overhears any of my phone calls, she says, so did you get out of another job? <laughs> <laughs> Is it, does any of that have to do with winning the case? Is it important to you that, uh, that your side, as it were, um, has, has a good chance or a better chance at winning the case? Or is it just more a matter of you don't feel that your expertise is appropriate or you're going to get too much pushback from the attorney? I could care less whether I'm on a winning side or not. I, I give the <laughs> attorney the information that I find, and my assumption is that's going to benefit them and determine their strategy if it's harmful to their to their client um, and use me uh, as it, in uh, court if it's if it's helpful to their client. So that's that's not an issue for me ever. The the personality, the getting along with the attorney, the knowing that I'm going to have a relationship with this attorney that may last a couple of years on this case. It may last only a couple of hours, but I want to make sure that I spend time with people who I like and get along with. So that's probably the most important thing to me. Um, eliminating that that pushback, that stuff. I want, I want this. I want you to testify to such and such. Yeah, I just won't work for someone like that. Um, pivoting back to expertise, you know, we spoke a little bit before the show and you mentioned to me and, and you thought it might be helpful, which is why I'm bringing it up to other attorneys that you don't have a degree. And that's not necessarily a thing that's required to make a career as an expert. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So in my field, forensic video analysis, photographic analysis and photography, um, there, there are not degrees within the, well, I'm going to back up from that for just a moment. There is now a master's program at the University of Colorado at Denver um, that deals with uh, forensic multimedia examination. So that's that's really an outstanding program that is available. But sure, that's really the only degreed program that's in my specific field. But we do have certifications. And so within my field, Having the certification is very beneficial, but still not required. So when uh, when I go to court, when I go to court uh, with other experts opposing, um, it's very common for people not to have degrees and actually not to even have the certifications. So, so in your experience, in your experience, it's the experience itself that matters, uh, and not necessarily. Although obviously that can be important for for 
certain experts. Um, it's not necessarily the most important thing that you have a degree. Somebody can still have a long, fulfilling career as an expert um, without a, a specific degree in that area. Yeah, I started my expert business in <laughs> 2004, and um, I believe I'm, you know, staying pretty busy. Um, I have the luxury of being able to turn away work, and, uh, and my career has been, been very good. I've been really enjoying it. Excellent. Before we go, uh, I'd like to go over winding up an engagement. Uh, do you typically uh, track the progress of the case? Do you, once you've done your part of it, uh, do you continue to speak with the attorney? Do you follow the case? How do you find out or do you even care uh, that or when the case has wrapped up? I generally don't care and generally don't know. Um, as a matter <laughs> of fact, <laughs> I got to say that actually when I get retained on cases, I oftentimes don't even know which side I'm representing. <laughs> Is that um, right? I, I might have asked and then I just forget. I don't know. But um, sure. <laughs> so at the end, if I worked on a particularly interesting case or if it was a case I was very involved in, then I do like to have the follow up. So um, sure. many of my cases just require, you know, three or four or five hours worth of work and a call with my findings or a very short report. And then I'm done with it. And that's fine. The the cases that are longer lasting, the cases that that go for months, the cases that involved dozens of hours as opposed to a handful of hours, those I, I do get curious as to um, how they went. And you generally, the attorneys, the attorneys just go ahead and call me and say, you know, hey, just wanted to let you know, you know, this went this way or whatever it happens to be. Do you strictly bill hourly? Have you ever had any difficulties getting paid when a case winds up? Um, I, I have only had trouble getting paid a couple of times in, in that 18 years or whatever it is that I've been, been doing this work. Um, and those have been the times when I just haven't handled the, the billing and the invoicing properly. So I get a retainer on, on all cases. And, um, when I, when the retainer starts running short, then I get the retainer replenished. That almost always works well with, uh, insurance based cases, um, that doesn't always happen and that's okay. Sure. Insurance pays. It just, they take a long time. Um, so from a standpoint of just making sure that everything is clear in advance, get retainer, and then make sure that when the retainer is becoming depleted, that it gets renewed, everything works out. Is working on retainer something that you would recommend for uh, new or interested expert witnesses? I think it's the the most sensible way to approach it just because you don't want to have to wait multiple months for for that money, especially when you're starting out, uh, number one. And number two, uh, there have been those two or three times when I did not recover uh, payment and and those fortunately were small, but you know, they're, they're not fun. Uh, any last minute advice that you have for attorneys that deal with experts or experts themselves, in particular, new experts who, you know, might not have your level of experience yet? Well, I, I think the main thing is, is always listen, listen to what the attorneys say when they, when they call, know and understand the scope and understand that very thoroughly, because it's, it's really important to stay within the scope. And then I think another thing that's very important is know what you know and what you don't know. Um, you know, when you're when you're writing a report, don't include something in there that you don't absolutely know. When you're asked questions and you don't know the answer, um, those three words, I don't know, are perfect. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and then 
always when you're when you're in court, listen to the questions you're being asked and make sure that you understand them and answer the question that's being asked. George, thank you so much for joining me here today. I really appreciate your time. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Noah. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for another discussion at the Roundtable. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Discussions at Roundtable. Our show notes are available on our website, roundtablegroup.com. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening apps. 